Did you ever just meet someone and within what seems like minutes, you realize this person just gets you? That's how I feel about Lucy Dickinson. Uh, we met a few years ago, and after being introduced, we made plans to get together for dinner and drinks, and what ensued was a conversation that lasted four hours and was filled with laughing nonstop, crying nonstop, and connecting on our mutual anxiety, which I was not comfortable talking about at the time. Um, if you suffer from anxiety, then you know there are an awful lot of things that go along with it. And it kind of just builds and builds and builds. And to have someone sit there who not only suffered from anxiety, but knew an awful lot about it through her own journey and her hard work, it, it was such a relief. And what formed from there was a wonderful friendship that I've been able to enjoy for the last three years. So I want you to just sit back or do whatever it is that you're doing and enjoy my conversation with the unstoppable, unashamed, and now unsilenced Lucy Dickinson. So I'm here with Lucy. Hello, how are you? I'm Hi, so Marie. excited, so, so excited because we always have the best conversations and we actually just did. We did have a great conversation and at we're lunch. Gonna, at lunch and we are gonna bring it right here, right now. You taught me so much about anxiety. Um, you know, I learned skills years ago, but you kind of came into my life and tied it all together. And hmm. I got a lot of anxiety. I think a lot of people do right now, don't I they? Think, yes, and that's why I think it's an important topic because, not just because of what we're coming out of with COVID and everything else like that, but I just think the world in general and the whole vibe of what's going on in the world and what's been going on in the world the last few years is very anxiety driven. And if you're someone who naturally suffers from anxiety, right. you're going off the rails. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. You are going, and I have been going off the rails, wow. as I told you lately, mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety in my life. And I kind of want to have you explain mm. how you kind of likened it to that little girl in me because we all have that inner child and I I have issues with with guilt mm. I have I have issues with um, standing up for myself you know I'm, I believe it or not just in the last few years have learned how to start to stand up for myself but every time I do it I go through this cycle of doubt what was my responsibility in this? Do I have a responsibility in this? Why did I say that? Should I have said it? And everything that I, I felt so empowered and stuck up for myself for, I suddenly feel like, oh, no, 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 you were wrong. You shouldn't have done any of that. You shouldn't have done any mm, of that. Yeah. And you explained. Yeah, so I, I do want to start just so I could put that out there. I am not a trained psychologist. This is just off of what helped me and what worked for me in my journey. Mm -hmm. And if I can bring any light to someone else's anxiety because I found my way through it, I'm going to do that. Yes. And But I just want to say it's my story. Mm -hmm. I'm not professionally trained. Mm -hmm. I'm a professional anxiety person who had anxiety and has since moved through it. But there is so much value that you bring to the table when you're actually someone who's experienced it mm -hmm. and you're someone who's done the work and you're someone who knows how to address 
something that other people are going to. You don't need all the degrees. You know, I don't, I don't, I always say if, if clinicians and people who experience things could somehow come together. 100% have hand a in hand, Yes. That's the best way to start to work through the things that affect all of us. I think that's such a great point yeah. because um, no one just gets help from one person. Right. So if you it's kind of like um, making a recipe, Mm -hmm. right? You put all the ingredients in and what you bake is what you've put into it. And not one person's going to do that. Not one psychologist are going to help. You know, maybe a healer over here, uh, you know, maybe um, nutrition over here and someone who's experienced maybe all of those things. And you put that all together and then you bake it. And then you have what you need, you know, to get well. I love that. I love, I, I, I just love the imagery of it as well because, yeah, it's true. So I said to you that in the last couple of months I've been dealing with some very strong women who have just kind of rocked my world. Right. So, yeah, we were talking about that at lunch. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing is, yes, women are strong, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> and, I, and I love it, but I think I come across... As someone who's very confident, very strong, very sure of herself, and only the people like you who really know me know that it—it's not that's not always how I'm feeling on the inside. I just want you to know you're not alone in that. Yeah. <laughs> as I said, I'm like that. All of us are like that. There is not one person in this world that has it all together at all times. I feel like everyone's a hot mess sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everyone's right on their game at yeah. other times. And um, when we start to see that, when we start to see our um, perfectly imperfect selves, mm-hmm. and we honor that in someone else, is when, as women, we're going to come together even more. Yes, right? I believe that. Yes. So what you were talking about, right? What we were talking, <laughs> we were talking about. Let's um, get comfortable. <laughs> we were talking about, you know, how you find yourself in these these whirlwinds. Whirlwinds. They 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 feel like very chaotic situations that come out of nowhere, and it creates anxiety for you. Oh my God, the worst. The worst anxiety, and once that anxiety starts, it just becomes its own cyclone within me. So, you know, I can go a couple ways with this. I don't know where, you're, where you want to go on this I podcast. want you to go any way you want to go. That's why it's unsilenced, unashamed, unstoppable. I want it to be honest. Mm. I want people to be able to listen to you and go, God, yeah, that's how I feel, because I just don't think there's enough of that. So... We can only be responsible for our side of the road, right? Mm -hmm. Our side of the net. So when we have anxiety, the first thing, you know, one of the first stages is pointing at everybody else, right? It's blame. Mm -hmm. That person, my childhood, that person stinks. You know, that person did this to me. It may be, Mm -hmm. but you can't control that. That's the other side of, you know, the fence. What you can control is your reaction to it Mm -hmm. and what you can change. And that's where anxiety, you know, you never want to say you're in control with anxiety, but that is the part that you can control. You can't control out there, but you can control your reaction and anything within. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. I loved you said you can can control your side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And it's very true because we really are existing in two different places when we're trying to figure out where someone else is coming from or why they're coming from the point of view that they're coming from. 
Well, yeah, yeah, we start to ask ourselves questions, and then you go into that mind loop, that anxiety loop, like, could I have done something different? What can I do next time? Like, all of these things start to fill your head and create anxiety in you um, when really it's not even your responsibility. And when you get to that point, so much of the anxiety leaves because a lot of anxious people, right, and I hate to make labels, but people who feel anxiety, yeah. um, you know, they're the people who carry the weight of the world on their shoulder, mm. right? They think they're responsible for other people's happiness, other people's health, other people's problems. They're savers a lot of time, right? Right, yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, whatever you believe, the universe or God, God's got that, not you. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty hefty toll to take if you're taking the place of God. Right. And you don't need to do that. It's, I sometimes feel like I disappoint people. Like somehow they have ex expectations of me that I can't manage, mm -hmm. but without realizing it, I'm I'm living in a moment of trying to manage it, always being what they want me to be, um, or at least trying. Mm -hmm. And I will get a reaction like I'm you know I'm really not trying or I'm not doing it the way that they do it. You know, a a a, a very popular expression is it's not what you say, it's what you do. I don't believe that. I believe that when people speak, they genuinely speak from their heart. Unless there's someone who's just trying to get over on you, which which has nothing to do with it. When I say something to someone, when I tell them how I feel about them, I'm genuine about that. Maybe I'm not the type of person who brings flowers. Maybe I'm not the type of person who thinks to bring soup or anything. But I'll, man, I will be that person on the other end of the phone that you could talk to for two hours. You can cry. I'll be the one you can sit across the table from and just dump it right there. But yet, I'm always being made to feel like, but you're not doing enough. You're not showing enough. And that, that makes me feel like I'm, I'm just not a good, per I'm not a good enough person. But that's, no one's you're projecting that, right? Like that's not them saying you're not doing it. Oh enough. no, I've had I've had people say oh, you that. <laughs> oh yeah, I've had them. You know, well you know Maureen, it's not what you say, it's what you do. I, I don't understand that. The the three hour conversation, you know, the fact that I encouraged you to, to pursue your dreams, the the fact that I was the one clapping and screaming and yelling when you told me it came through. That wasn't enough. Was I supposed to do something else? <laughs> but th that, again, that's their side of the fence. If they don't yeah. think something's enough, yeah. Because I'm telling you that when you play that side of the fence, and I'm not saying you're separating yourself because we're never separate, right? We're right. all connected. Right. But when we understand where our responsibility lies, you're not even going to think like that anymore. Because right. even if they're saying that to you, that's their side of the fence. If they have an expectation, right? So you need not even worry about that where, where where it's coming from from you is you know the things that you said were circling in your head of i'm not good enough right like all mm -hmm. of those things spinning and we talked about that being your foundation from childhood right like yeah because of because you know and and it's very well known i you know i have a very long history of sexual and domestic violence starting at the age of six. At six. So, yes, as a child. So we know those are your formative yeah, years. So those are the formative years. So you've created this safe haven for you, right? Yes. And those little parts of you are still screaming out, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, all of these things that are coming up in you aren't from someone else. That's from that inner part of you yeah. that's still holding on to that foundation. Yeah, and you, you put it very eloquently where I could understand it because as you were talking about it, 
you know, the first five years, it was just me and my mom. So that basis was pretty solid. And then it just cracked. Right. It was rocked like an earthquake. Um, and then, yes, I, be- I very much became a little girl who needed to please, mm-hmm. needed to follow the rules so that my life would go as smoothly as possible. Because if I didn't listen, the consequences right. were sometimes even worse than the sexual abuse. It was right. isolation. You can't see your friends. You can't, you know, so I... And I've done so much work. Lucy, you know I've done so much work. But that's your conscious work. Oh, yeah. So there's still the, you know, the subconscious is running the show. And, you know, so when people say they want to get over anxiety, what I mostly hear is I just want to get over the symptoms, right? Uh, And that's the conscious part, right? That's the, you know, I'm having a panic attack or I have the shakes or my mind is racing. And that's actually the easy part. Right, like getting rid of the symptoms is the easy part. It's the deep subconscious work from those foundational beliefs is where you really want to go once the symptoms subside. But unfortunately, what happens is most people, once the symptoms go away, they think they're better, but they're still walking around with these old beliefs, these old, you know, recordings in their head of, I'm not good enough, I'm not, you know, and, you know, we need to extract those blow them up, see them for what they are, and then let them go to know that, you know, we're not living in the past anymore Mm -hmm. and create some new beliefs for those parts of us. And I think it's important to say you don't have to have a traumatic background like mine. Like, you know, I'm, you know, we're just using me as an example because I'm, I'm sitting here and we've kind of discussed in depth why, why I seem to fall prey to it so many right. times, even when I'm like, yeah, no, months, I could be great. No, I'm good. I'm wonderful. I'm... And then that little part comes up. And then right. somebody <laughs> pops up in my life and I'm, I'm a deer in headlights. I'm like, yeah. uh, wait a minute. I worked on this. Uh, I know how to handle this, right? And then I'm like, yeah, I know how to handle it. And I handle it. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. Oh, my God, I'm so grown up. And then I'm like, oh, but maybe I should have. Right. And then you go down that road. And, you know, what you bring up is such a great point because a lot of people who do have anxiety are like, well, I didn't have the background that you might have had. It doesn't take something so big. It, it's what was big for us, right? right? And we're all different. We're all, you know, we all have different thresholds of what will stress us out or create, you know, anxiety. It could be something as simple as, you know, standing up in front of a class when you were six years old and, you know, I don't know, you farted. Right? Like, <laughs> what six-year-old has not been in class and farted? But like in, up in front of everyone <laughs> right, and yeah. they got embarrassed. So then, you know, they carry in their fa- foundational beliefs, if I stand up in front of people or talk in front of people or even talk, I'm going to feel shame, right? Or embarrassed. And that carries with them for the rest of their lives until they pull that out and realize, no, that's not a truth. It's just one experience that happened and you don't have to carry that anymore. And so many of us do for one reason, like you said, for one reason or another. So I... You just you just recently did an online meditation that I attended, yeah. mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved. So, and you wrote your book. I wrote what my is book, your book, The Anxious Hippie. The Anxious the, Hippie, yeah. and the workbook that goes with it, The Anxious Hippie Handbook, which I did and I loved because it was a fun workbook. It was. I don't want to say it wasn't serious. Because right. you know what I mean. Because the work 100%. that you had to do was serious, very serious. But the way that you wrote it. And the way that, you know, just even visually, you just, you looked at it and you were like, oh, this doesn't feel like it's going to be work. This feels like, oh, yeah. That's why I called it a handbook. It was just like, oh, yeah, I want to write in this. And I found myself every day wanting to get up and like, no, this is, this is kind of fun. This is, but I was doing the work. 
in the book. And it's serious work. You're 100% right. So um, it's not just I wrote it that way. I lived it that way. So I'm someone who's a firm believer that you know, not everything has to be so serious. Even serious things don't have to be so serious. And I was going through debilitating anxiety. I was, um, you know, allergic. I could only eat five foods at one point because um, food was safety and unsafe for me. Um, I had panic attacks all day. But even through that, I tried to find the laughter in it. And I, I did have the laughter throughout both my books because I want people to know that even though you may be dealing with debilitating anxiety and trust me I know how bad it can get I actually you know I had OCD all of these things the the you know the repetitive thoughts um you can still smile you're just because you have the feeling of anxiety I hope everyone hears that I love that yes the feeling it's a feeling it's not who you are so you can feel something and still feel other things and I think that's an important thing to, because you can get lost in your anxiety and think this is it and go down that slippery slope and just live in a hole, right? Mm-hmm. Like live in a hole and be scared or you can take it with you. Yeah. And I chose to take it with me. You did. Right. And you, in your book, <laughs> you told some really funny stories. Yes. True and stories. <laughs> would you share one about an escalator? Oh, boy. The time I uh, uh, shut down the mall. <laughs> that one? you shut down the mall. Yeah. She shut down the mall. I shut down. Um, it was Freehold Mall, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was Freehold Mall. I'm trying to think. It was Nordstrom's. And, um, yeah, it was the first time I was able to go into a store because, like I said, I was allergic to the world. I was allergic. I had something called chemical sensitivity, which I believe is an offshoot of anxiety. And... Um, I was feeling a little bit better. I had my kids in tow, and, and me and my husband and my three kids went into the mall, and my husband and son said they were going to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where it all started. I still had a lot of anxiety. Should I just say that? So yes. <laughs> they, they left, well, I didn't know they left Nordstrom's, but they had left Nordstrom's to go to the bathroom. And I was waiting with my daughter in a carriage and my other daughter, who must have been two or three at this point, three, I guess. And we were waiting, what seemed like an eternity. It was probably only five minutes. But in an anxious mind, that's hours, right? And that's why I want you to tell that, because in an anxious mind, time goes very slow. And, you know, some people with anxiety have these catastrophic thoughts. So you don't go from A to B. You go immediately to Z, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And that's how my brain was functioning at the time. And I went to Z and I literally, you know, went up the escalator with my kids and I was looking in all the bathrooms because it was probably 10 minutes at this point, looking in all the bathrooms and I couldn't find my husband and son. He said they were going to the bathroom in Nordstrom's. And at this point, I brought on some salespeople and asked where my husband was. It went as far as a manager, and somehow I got them all caught up in my anxious story. And they were like, does your husband have any enemies? Does, is there anything that might be happening? Um, they were looking in, like, coat closets. For them. I mean, it got really dramatic to the point where, you know, the cops were called. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. But I don't want you to be embarrassed because you know what? I know I know what it's like to catastrophize yeah, sometimes. I, 
They literally shut down. And I think this, of this yeah. story, and it, it, it's like just remember Lucy's story and just pull it back. <laughs> yeah, it's like, they, All right, they well, shut the, okay. they shut down the store. It was one of those like they the store was on lockdown. They didn't have that word back then. No, but, but the store was. was on lockdown. Yeah, um, I was upstairs. There were women comforting me. I was crying. Like it was a scene out of like a movie. Mm-hmm. Like it was. I was outside of myself. Um, you know, my daughter with her big eyes and <laughs> in the stroller, and the other one like stroking me like they're gonna be found it's okay um yeah and police going up and down people all trapped in the store and i hear like like a walkie talkie i think we found them Mm -hmm. and up comes my son and husband on the escalator and he just looked at me like (laughs) shaking his head like i love you they looked like i don't know if you saw rain man but like (laughs) they were they were coming up the escalator, and he knew the poor guy. You know, it was it was sad and funny at the same time. I knew he was feeling all these emotions because he felt sad for me, right? Aww. Because he was like, I know she just locked that. Like, well, he, of course he knew because there was a gun drawn on him when he, you know, he told me afterwards when he tried to come into the store. Um, and yeah, that's what happened. Oh yeah, there's there it is. Rain man. <laughs> there, that's that's the one. That's exactly what they looked like. And those are the exact faces they had on their face. Like oh it was gosh. you did not shut down the store, Lucy. And I was so happy to see him, but it just shows how far anxiety goes. And that's an outward expression. We don't see those too often. But there are millions upon millions of people living that in their head mm-hmm. every day. Yes. And it's excruciating and it's debilitating. And anything I can do to help them, you know, through my books, I want to help people because if I can get past this Rain Man, yes. <laughs> you know, issue and laugh about it and be out in the world, if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. Anyone I, I can. I love that story. And I, I do. I, I do think about that when yeah. I find myself spinning out of control, spinning out of control. Yeah. And, you know, we had said earlier, a lot of people, a lot of people are really kind to me. Mm-hmm. They, you know, oh, you're so funny. Oh, you're doing so much. Oh, you know, you're, you're just trying. You're just living your life. But you're always so positive. And there are moments where I think, you know, I wonder if they really knew the things that I struggle with, if they would be looking at me so kindly. And that's so true. That's like the snapshot, right? Mm -hmm. Like they see a snapshot of you on social media or just a piece of you that you happen to be showing that day. But no one ever sees the, you know, they never pull back to see the whole picture. Yeah. And everyone has a whole picture. Yes. And when we see that, we feel a little bit more connected. I always say, you know, that we all have this story, like all of us have something. And when we become a little more vulnerable and talk about it and we show people a little bit more instead of that perfectionism, yeah, you don't feel as I'm not good enough or something's wrong with me or this is crazy. We all, you know, that's why the anxious hippie is the anxious hippie. I wasn't just the anxious hippie. I don't know if I've ever explained this to you. It's like only in one line in my book. It's that we all vacillate between anxious and hippie. Between yes. peace and anxiety. Yes. And no one's excluded. Or guidette. 
No. I didn't grow up a hippie. I became a hippie, but I grew up in Brooklyn, so I was a little bit of a guida with the big old hair and the big old lips. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had Before the big that hair became too. a thing. I had the big hair. But, but no, we do. We vacillate between, yeah, between two extremes. Does. Yeah. Between and two extremes. to hide that part, like, we have to expose every part of ourselves to, you know, be free of what I was talking about before and accept every part of ourselves. And by the way, you know, that's the secret sauce. That's the secret ingredient mm. is acceptance and love. Yeah. There's no, it's, there's no secret ingredient to getting well. It's when you accept every part of yourself, you take responsibility and love every part of yourself, the anxiety fades because you're not fighting anything anymore. Right. right? right. You're not trying to go up against and make something quit. You're accept in the moment, even if you're feeling anxiety, accept and love it. Right. Because it's part of you. Right. Yeah. And it's not part of you that like lives within you. It's it's a feeling you're having at that time. Accept that feeling and then let it go. Like some I th- I don't know if you saw my <laughs> my video I put out the other day. I said that, uh, you know, these thoughts that we have are like gas. Did you see that one? I did. Oh, my God. So and like, you're going to tell me about it I now because you know I'm going to get you. Yeah. So, you know, I try anyway. Like I have so many videos. Anyway, I can come at it. But... <laughs> Like when we have gas, we don't think about it, right? We just let it go, right? And then wherever it goes, it goes, but we don't think about where it went or if it's coming back, right? Right. We could do that same thing with our anxious thoughts. Right. Think about it as like a gas bubble, right? So when you have them, just let it go like you're having gas. And then don't think about it again. It's just a feeling. Okay, but then you know the side of me is going to be like, but, you know, sometimes you have gas and it comes right back around. And that's okay. What let do you it do? go again. Just let it, just keep because letting you it Because you, you don't have gas forever, right? Yeah. You have moments where you don't. So just keep, you know, accepting that thought. And as you accept it, let it float away like you would gas. Right? When I was, you know, again, very known to anybody who knows me, had had a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. had to go into a three-month, ex- uh, uh, an ex extensive three-month outpatient program, Mm -hmm. which meant I just went every day. And one of the things, the very first thing that they taught me about stopping my ruminating thoughts, which were fuel to my anxiety. Of course. I used to say I had OCD of the brain because it was like a ticker tape that just constantly kept going and I couldn't shut it off. I couldn't shut it off. And I, I had controlled it or tried to control for so long that when I had the nervous breakdown, it was days of not being able to sleep because I suddenly had nothing. I could not shut anything off. Mm-hmm. And I was blaming myself and the guilt of and course. everything else. And this one woman stood, they kept saying to me, Maureen, just tell yourself stop. Mm. Just tell yourself stop. Now, the first two weeks I was there, I was very much, I kind of thought like, oh, God, what are they going to teach me that I, I don't already know? And then I finally had that moment of clarity where I was like, listen, woman, if you knew everything, you wouldn't be sitting in this chair. So right, right. why don't you just let that go right. and start to open yourself up? But I couldn't get this concept of stop, stop, stop. <laughs> One of the women that was in the group with me. <laughs> oh, my God, that's going to be good. I, I swear to God, she's sitting next to me. And out of nowhere, it was like a, it was like a, a, a lightning bolt. She jumped off the chair. She got right in my face and she went, stop, just like, almost like, and I thought she was angry at me. And I went, and she went, stop, stop. And then she quietly sat back in her chair and I kind of like, I turned around like slowly and looked at her and she went, that's what it looks like, Maureen. 
every time you start it, just think of me in your face like that, yelling, stop. At first, I thought she's going to kill me. <laughs> Jumping on you. That's hysterical. She literally, like, jumped over my legs in my, as close to my face. But do you know I started doing it that day, and it, and it worked. worked. Yeah. It was the first thing that worked for me, that every time I could feel it, and I, I was just thinking, 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 I would I would make myself think of her. We ended up becoming very good friends. We oh, both have the hysterical. same tattoo. After we left the program, we got that's the same funny. tattoo. Uh, she she gave me my first skill of just stop, just to ground me. Right, right. So that I could meet you. Right. And you could start to add to that little bag of skills that I have. And the, yeah. tell us some of the things that you do. Oh, boy. Um, so I think meditation is huge. I told you about that. Um, I, I actually think it's one of the greatest things you can do. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be on top of a mountain floating, you know, mm -hmm. with, with your you know, self in lotus position. Walking is meditation. Mm -hmm. Exercise is meditation. Mm -hmm. Sitting in the quiet is meditation. Meditating with a group is meditation. You know, it's whatever brings you calm in your mind. And if you can just do that for five, ten minutes a day to learn how to be present, whether that's through breathing or visualization, however it works for you, there's no right or wrong way. I need to say that a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no right or wrong way. Um, that's it's it's a magic. It's like a magic pill. Mm -hmm. um, exercise. You know, I'm talking about all the things people may know. Car rides. I my main way of dealing when I just get like I just can't. I think I have to run away. I literally jump in the car, and that that radio goes on. Well, singing and I is just huge. Go singing, uh, singing at the top of my lungs. The songs that really kind of because there's oh, there are always that that's oh, there's always that list of songs that just hits you like if you're angry or you're sad and you're and you just that that's one of my favorite ways so there's actually a science behind that oh there is see that's um, why i love you and again i'm not a doctor but <laughs> but you you taught yourself yes yeah, so um your vagus nerve right mm -hmm. needs to be stimulated and uh, there's been studies to show there's a lot of people with anxiety who don't have a properly functioning vagus nerve and one of the ways you help it is through singing. It's singing, it's chanting, right? That's why oh, chanting, wow. um, gargling, right? All of these things help stimulate it. And it actually, because there's a huge connection between anxiety and gut issues, it helps the HPA access, HPA access which is a brain-gut connection. Okay. So what you're doing is actually has scientific backing. So when I park. am literally making a fool of myself mm -hmm. on Route 35, 100%. like just singing Def Leppard because I'm an 80s girl I at the Def top Leopard. of my lungs. <laughs> Pour some sugar on me. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm just like at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I'm actually... I'm, yeah. I'm actually doing something yeah. that's stimulating another part of my body yeah. that's helping me get over my anxiety. You just put it perfectly. Yep. I love that. And yeah. how ironic that it's Vegas. You know, yeah. the lights and the noise and the Vegas, music. Vegas, yeah. Oh, Very Vegas. Close. Oh, Vegas. okay. See, I was Vegas. Like, right away, I went, I went to Las Vegas. Viva. <laughs> now Las we know. Vegas. Yeah. So, yeah. I love you. And I'm so, I mean, you know, I really want people to listen to this because I, I want to be a regular person that's talking about the things that affect all of us. I happen to be a woman, so it's probably going to be a little bit more that affect women. But everybody, you know, overall and... I was so excited you said you would come on because... Was, thank you for having me. You are 
you know, and I know you don't like when I say, but like you are my little guru where I'm like, Lucy, really seriously, I can't afford therapy. So can I just call you? (laughs) I'll reach into the bag of tricks and what helped me. That's where I can go. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the laughs. Oh, my gosh. You always make me laugh. And that's what I want this to be, too. We're going to talk about difficult stuff. But you know what? It doesn't always have to be so serious. Maybe people will start to have a conversation. That's what it's all about. Speaking and connection. Speaking and connecting. We are more alike than we are different. And when we all start to speak to one another, we are going to realize that. So, yeah. I love that you're doing this. I'm going to end this episode with that. Thank you so much, everybody.